This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's time for Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being here. Uh, Mariners get ready for a weekend against the Angels at home. The Mariners return home after a rough eight-game stretch where it saw them uh, four games against the Houston Astros, four games before that in Boston against the Boston Red Sox. It has been a really tough schedule in the month of April. It lightens up a little bit in May. We'll see if the Mariners can take advantage of that, but they will have to fight through some injuries to do that. So what we'll do is we'll talk about the four-game series against the Astros. We'll get ready for the three-gamer against the Angels this weekend. And we have a fun conversation with Andy McKay. Shannon Dreher sits down with Andy coming up in a few minutes. So a lot to get to in this podcast. We will work backwards, though, starting with yesterday. Given the news of yesterday, man, it was given the game before the Mariners lose a heartbreaker some really rough news on the injury front yesterday Marco Gonzalez going on the injured list here's what Scott Service said to Aaron Goldsmith before the game about Marco and what we're looking at here yeah coming out of the game of the night uh, you know Marco felt a little uh, stiffness in his left forearm uh, you know a little concerning went and had him checked out uh, yesterday morning at an MRI uh, he's going to go to the IL we're going to activate Domingo Tapia uh, off the taxi squad so Marco's you know he's actually feeling a little bit better already today but he's going to miss at least a couple starts and we want to be um, really cautious uh, on where he's at uh, it's tough to, to not have him in your rotation for any length of time, but uh, uh, we got to be smart with this one. Fortunately, it's it's not you know anything overly too serious, I guess. It, but it's going to be a, an IL stint until he gets that that forum calmed down a little bit. Well, sounds like you guys got in front of this, which is obviously the most important thing. Uh, yeah. Sticking with uh, health updates, we see Mitch Hanniger is out of the lineup for the second straight day. Is uh, again, is this? All your call? <laughs> Not well, you know, it's, uh, you know, players and with Hanny, you know, coming into the season, we knew we were going to have some, some moments uh, throughout the year that he was just going to need a couple days down um, and go from there. So, um, you know, he, he wants to be in there and he's a grinder and he loves playing and, and such a big part of our team, but, you know, we need really need to be smart here. So, you know, with the quick turnaround day game today, uh, hopefully off day today, he'll be good for the homestand. We get back home and then kind of keep doing what he's been doing. So hopefully we see Mitch in the lineup today through in that news about Mitch Hanniger, who missed a couple days in a row. And with Marco, just fingers crossed, hopefully he just misses a couple of starts like they seem to think, and hopefully they caught it early and he'll be back pitching in the Mariners' rotation. Meanwhile, clearly the rotation's going to be shorthanded. No Paxton, of course, no Marco. Uh, so it's already been hit hard with injuries so far this season. It's something we've talked about quite a bit coming into this year that – uh, especially in a year like this, pitching depth, especially rotation depth, is going to be tested. And already, Mariners' rotation depth is going to be tested uh, already early in this young season. Uh, rotation definitely stepped up yesterday, and we'll get to that now. As 
You said Kikuchi was brilliant against the Astros. He was on his game. Bregman holds the bat low on the knob. Here's the pinch. Swing and a miss for strike three. A cutter buried. Shoelaces high. And Bregman is strikeout victim number seven for Yusei Kikuchi, who has punched four straight tickets of Astros hitters. Kikuchi was awesome yesterday. He was so good in Houston and also helped his own cause, turning in one of the best defensive plays you could possibly imagine as a pitcher. It was something. Yusei fires home. Swing a high chop. Halfway to the pitcher's mound, a sliding stop. What a play by Yusei Kikuchi. It looked like he was sliding home. He fielded that halfway between the mound and home plate, popped up and threw a seed onto first base to get Gurriel. And Carlos Correa has to stay put at second base. A no-hitter into the seventh. He ends up going seven strong, one hit, no runs, just two walks. And one of the walks, I mean, he had straw struck out twice in the plate appearance. But he really got squeezed in the game, too, which was pretty amazing given what he was able to do. Seven strikeouts along the way. Strike percentage was fantastic. His cutter was devastating. He was so so good yesterday, holding the Astros to no runs through seven innings. As it turned out, the Mariners would only need one run. His next pitch, swinging a fastball, is rocketed out to right field, punched deep and gone into the second row right over the leap of McCormick in right field. Taylor Trammell going deep to begin the top of the third. He has put the Mariners in front, one nothing. Number four on the season for the rookie. Masevich Graveman finished the deal. Graveman collects his third save of the season as he continues to do his nasty things out of the bullpen. And the Mariners salvaged the finale 1-0 over the Houston Astros. So they come home with a 14-12 and record now facing the Angels. We'll talk about that in just a second. It's really too bad, too. It was heartbreak the night before, and if the Mariners were able to get that game, they would have had a complete split on a Boston-Houston road trip, which would have been pretty sweet. Mariners got some good offense. Torrens breaking out. The right-hander winds and fires home. Swinging this is socked out towards the gap. Left center field. Torrens hits this deep, and this is gone up above the big wall in left field. Luis Torrens, number one on the season. A round tripper in Houston off of Zach Greinke. Now the Mariners are on the board. 2-1 Houston. Kyle Lewis went deep as well. The Mariners had a 5-3 lead going to the eighth. They couldn't hold it. A four spot in the bottom of the frame, assisted by, shockingly, a throwing error by Evan White. Not something you would expect to see. Given how good the bullpen has been, given how great Evan White has been, that combo, I don't think anyone saw coming in the eighth inning. So Houston comes back to win 7-5. They won the first two games of the series as well. Houston taking the first two games, uh, the first game on Monday by a final of 5-2 to two, and then 2 nothing in game two of the series. It was great to see Kyle Lewis back. He went deep a couple times in the four-game series. First pitch to Kyle Lewis. He swings and swats this deep, cranked out to center field, and this is gone off the batter's eye. Kyle Lewis, number one in 2021 for the Mariners center fielder, is cranked to center. Mariners are on the board. It's 2-1 Astros. 
So Astros take three of four. Mariners, though, salvaged the finale yesterday, which was great to see. Now come home against the Angels. Before we get to that, let's hear from Yusei Kikuchi on his start yesterday. Hey, Yusei, uh, I think you ended up with, I think it was 21 called strikes plus whips. I think that was your highest uh, with the cutter of the season. How did you feel with that pitch from a, a feel standpoint, from a control standpoint? Um, yeah, I, I mean, overall, I felt like I had good command with all of my pitches um, today. Um, and then regarding the cutter, um, you know, I think I was able to um, really, I was able to command it really well um, in certain counts, you know, to um, get ahead early in the count. And then in finished counts, I was able to execute um, that pitch where I, exactly where I wanted to. Um, so felt great out there. You say it looked like you were able to kind of establish the inner half of the plate and, and kind of get, get on their hands a little bit and then go away. I mean, how effective is that against right-handers when you can get in on their hands and get the inner half of the plate, that inside strike? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I was able to go um, inside hard with my cutter um, and then kind of go soft away with my changeup, and I think that played really well today. Um, and, you know, just controlling the height as well on all of my pitches. Um, really good today. You say, when did you know you didn't have a, when you had a no-hitter? When did you recognize that you had a no-hitter? Um, yeah, obviously, I, I noticed it pretty early um, in the game. Um, but I go into every start with the mentality of um, just not allowing a single hit um, to the opposing team. Um, and so that's exactly what I did today with that same mentality going into the game. Um, and then not only that, but um, not only just the no hit um, part, but um, because it was such a close game, you know, one nothing ball game, um, pretty much the entire game. Um, I think that really um, allowed me to focus um, and get locked in today. You say, is this as good of a feeling as you've had? Uh, since you've been pitching for the Mariners over the last couple of years to be able to come in today, uh, help end a losing streak for the team, um, command your pitches the way you did. It, I would imagine this, this has got to be right up there in terms of what you wanted to accomplish coming over here to the U.S. Um, I wouldn't say it was the best I felt, um, but definitely up there. Um, I was just really happy to be able to contribute and help the team win today. Um, against a good opponent. Um, and like you said, you know, um, I'm glad we were able to end our little losing uh, streak we had. Can you walk us through the bat with Correa? It looked like you missed your location with that pitch on the 3-2 pitch. And then also, I mean, you go out there today, when you hear about Marco going on the injured list, how much did you feel like you wanted to step up on a day like today with Marco being out for a while now? Um, yeah, to answer your uh, question about Correa, um, you know, it was a full count, um, and I just decided to go um, and challenge him there. Um, I think a, a walk in that situation would have been um, the worst, you know, thing that I could do. And so I just um, decided to go aggressive and just challenge him in the zone. Um, um, and then to answer your second question, um, yes, absolutely. Um, I think not just myself, but the entire staff um, definitely needs to step up. Um, 
and go and um, throw long innings um, deep into the ball game, um, an extra inning and even just an extra out. Um, and I think this is just, we just need to, um, as an entire staff, uh, all just step up and contribute until uh, Marco uh, comes back. So now the Mariners will turn their attention to the Angels tonight. Chris Flexen will get the ball. He was brilliant his last time out, shutting down a very good Red Sox offense. He'll have to do it again against the Angels. Andrew Heaney will take the ball for the Angels. 7-10 first pitch. Game 2, 6-10 first pitch. LJ Newsom will throw for the Mariners as he's pushed into the rotation now. Griffin Canning will take the ball in game two. 6-10 on Saturday, 1-10 on Sunday. Justice Sheffield will go against Dylan Bundy in the finale of the series. Now, it doesn't get easier for Mariners pitching. They've had to deal with some of the best offenses in baseball. They'll have to do it again here. The Angels, really, really good. You look at WRC+, Plus; they are second in baseball at 116. 100 is average, so they are well above that. And you look at this last chunk of schedule, WRC+, Plus in terms of team, White Sox are number one, Angels, Red Sox, Astros, and Dodgers. All Mariners' opponents as of late, and that speaks to really the kind of offensive firepower the Mariners have consistently had to face so far this season. So it doesn't loosen up as of yet. They're going to have to face, I mean, it's obvious when we talk about some of the names in the Angels lineup. Angels are 12 and 11 overall. Uh, Mike Trout is off to a ridiculous start. He's missed a couple of games, but he's played in 20 games. He is slashing 420, 524, 783. Six homers, seven doubles, 14 RBIs, 14 walks as teams along the way have just decided, I don't want any part of this, and I don't blame them. He's off to a ridiculous start. Jared Walsh off to a great start. You know, Otani has already bashed seven home runs this year. They have a ton of firepower. Their question is kind of the annual question revolves around their pitching. Mariners will face Bundy. He's off to a decent start. He has fanned 34 in 30 innings, an ERA just a touch above four. He's been pretty good so far this year. Heaney has definitely had his moments. He has fanned 29 in 20 innings, an ERA a touch above four. Canning has struggled, an ERA about eight and a half so far this season. 15 innings, 14 runs, 17 strikeouts along the way, just five walks, but he's been getting hit, 17 hits uh, during that stretch. So the Mariners will try and take advantage from him. The Ems will miss Quintana, who's has struggled. They'll miss Otani, who's been good as well. And they'll miss Cobb, who has struggled so far this season in the rotation. It's really been peaks and valleys in the rotation so far this year for the Angels. Bullpen has been up and down as well for the Angels. So this should be a very interesting three-game series as the Mariners coming off a win against the Angels. Uh, against... The Astros now facing the Angels. We're going to turn things to Shannon Dreher now, who has a very fun chat with Andy McKay. You know, Logan, uh, he pitched the one day against the Angels, and, you know, it was one of those days when we all were able to see, okay, this is, this is exactly who we think Logan is. You know, he kind of went through the heart of their lineup and and more than held his own, then kind of had a setback. And he's back up. He threw uh, three innings yesterday. I believe it was at 43 pitches. Um, he'll get another start down here next week to add on to that. And then 
uh, be ready to go for the first week of the season. So Logan is exactly what we all have always thought he is, which is somebody who can potentially be a, an ace number one type of pitcher um, that he has the ability to do that for himself and, you know, purely healthy uh, George Kirby uh, who came in uh, to camp did not pitch in a game, but was in involved in our major league camp is, is fully healthy. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thing coaching in the era of Twitter where, you know, somebody hits a home run and before they touch home plate, it's on Twitter. You know, the world got to see George last week throwing 102 miles an hour, which is good. And, you know, he's he's built up, he's fully healthy, and we're seeing this uh, increased velocity with, you know, a guy who went a full calendar year without walking somebody at one point. So uh, we're thrilled with him. Emerson Hancock was back on the mound uh, yesterday uh, for the first time. He got into an inning in the game and looked great, and we can continue to build him up as well. Juan Ten also got back in the game yesterday after being here early. So I think that covers the pitchers. Brandon Williamson, uh, fully built up and ready to start and, and will be ready to go. Cal Raleigh, who I thought had a tremendous big league camp experience, uh, really showed that he fit in quite well with that group and at that level. Had a really good co-op and has played well through through camp. Jared Kelnick, same thing, played at the co-op team. Julio played in the co-op team. So all these guys are healthy and they're ready to break camp and really all of them are playing well. So be very exciting to get them back out there, you know, in a uniform with a scoreboard on under the lights and, and competing. I'm really interested to get your thoughts. Is there something that you can point to? And I know this, the, I'm sorry, this might be kind of back padding, but it, sometimes it's due, but it's interesting as well. But is there something that you've seen that you can point to and say, that's Mariner right there? Hmm. The great question. Um, I think the thing that I'm, maybe more than a specific player is our strategy of dominating the strike zone. And I think a lot of this has to do with the players moving through, but also that coaching staff having come through player development and, you know, with Scott there. And I've noticed this just like even in our telecasts, you know, I'm hearing language and verbiage, you know, that was coming out of PD three or four years ago, now being talked about on root sports and the consistency of the messaging, whether it's from Scott or Carson or Jarrett DeHart or Pete Woodworth or Trent Blank, it, that's exciting to me. And, and I see that uh, showing up. But, um, and, and I think more like in specific ways, you do see things show up that you're like, I remember in Arkansas mm. that moment when this kind of became a thing for, for this player. And... When you, I, I'll give you one. I'll give you one very specific. Uh, Justice Sheffield, who you know, who we acquired, came to camp, had a really good camp, and then got off to a really tough start in Tacoma. Uh, went down to Double A and really kind of rediscovered himself. And you know, being part of a lot of those conversations with him and Pete Woodworth, and 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 seeing him and Pete in the bullpen, and now seeing it happen on a major league field, and I, yeah, I can remember being in Tulsa sitting out there and watching this conversation and now I'm seeing with my own eyes. So those things are, those things are pretty exciting. The last one, and I wasn't going to ask this, but it just jumped out at me. It's something a younger player said to me today that came from another organization and another younger player from another organization said the same thing last week. And I asked, you know, what, what is the best part of your big league day? And they said, getting to play to win. 
and that, yeah. that winning is important at the big league level. And I know that that is something that you emphasized with that double A group a couple of years ago. And it's not always easy in the minor leagues because it's also development. But here were two players from outside the organization who apparently hadn't had any of that. How do you provide that? And what's the importance that you put on that? Yeah. And, you know, without the context of their specific comments and, you know, I would never I, I don't want this answer to be taken of we're doing it better than somebody else. I don't know what other people are doing. And but I can tell you the genesis of this was uh, uh, an elite all-star level player in Colorado talking to me. And he made a comment to me. He said, why can't we just play like we played in college? And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, the best I've ever played in my life was when I was tr- just trying to help my team go to Omaha and get to the college world series. Why can't we just play that way? And I said, I don't know. Why can't you, you know, why I, I, I think maybe I missed the memo that said you're not allowed to play to win. And, but that conversation really stuck with me in that players play better when they're trying to win a baseball game. And so you have to keep that point really keeping the most important thing, the most important thing. And it can get lost in the minor leagues at times because of the development and because we're having to do both. And because we're having to tell guys that sometimes, look, you're only going to throw four innings tonight. Or look, you're going to throw five change-ups every inning. We can do all these things that we need to do and then still do everything we can to win that game. Because winning a baseball game is a skill. Learning how to win is a skill. I was reading this last night. um, uh, Nick Nurse, who's the the coach of uh, the Toronto Raptors in the NBA, uh, spoke about this, of, of noticing the trajectory of these superstar NBA players it takes a lot of years for them to learn how to win. And he talked about, I believe it was Michael Jordan took seven years to win an NBA championship. Mm. LeBron James took, I believe it was five or six years to win an NBA championship. Kobe Bryant, they don't just show up and know how to lead teams and how to actually win games. They know how to dribble. They know how to shoot, but it takes time and reps to learn how to take their skills and then transform them into something that can help lead a team towards a win. And since we have a minor league system, I don't know why we wouldn't be doing that from the, from the get go. So um, it is something that we emphasize a lot and it's something, it wasn't just with that double a team. It's with really every team that we have. And obviously it's not always going to work out the way you want it to, but I think you'd be doing a disservice if you let a player move through your system and then all of a sudden put him in the big leagues where the scoreboard matters for the first time, because it does matter. And that's really what we're, what we're trying to accomplish through, through really being focused on our process. And what did you find? I know that a lot of the players that maybe you didn't have in um, the alternate site or showed up for instructional or the other pitching site, uh, I think there were some surprises there and how well they were able to take care of themselves and even progress. But on the whole, what did you see with the group down there? A little bit of the same. You know, you had uh, a lot of really pleasant surprises um, and you had a lot of, you know, kind of what we thought it would be. And, and then some people that were a little bit behind um, for various reasons. And, you know, it's all kind of starting to blend together a bit now after they've been here for a while. And so I would say similar to how it was at at both the alternate site and the fall league last year, where people came in with different um, out of different situations, you know, whether it was somebody who actually was sick with COVID um, and missed a lot of time or, you know, somebody who had full access to 
you know, an indoor facility facing live pitching all the time. Um, maybe their dad was a high school coach um, versus somebody who really struggled to have access to things. So uh, we had a little bit of everything there going on. Now that you're into games, what is it that you want to get out of it? What, it's about two and a half weeks of games you have before a season? Maybe Correct. Three? So, you know, it, it moved fast, and obviously we're going to be breaking camp next week. What we really wanted to accomplish, one, was getting kids playing baseball again and not getting them hurt. You know, we, we know one of our, our biggest predictors of injuries are just these huge spikes in workload. And for a lot of guys, this was going to be a big spike in workload. So getting them reacclimated to the game and doing it without getting anybody hurt was kind of the, the main priority. And, you know, for the most part, we've been able to do that. And, you know, and then just being patient, knowing that, you know, I, I can I forget the player it was, but we, we were having our, our first live at bats and uh, he said, you know, it's really not fair that my first at bat in a year and I'm facing 99 miles an hour, which, which I, which I can agree to. So, um, but you know, things are going well and we'll be breaking camp next week and um, everything is on track for a really good summer of minor league baseball. Will you go with six man rotations in the minors too? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we'll continue that throughout and, um, you know, we have, um, I don't think any, any coaches ever said we have too much starting pitching, but we do have a lot of starting pitching depth of players that we still want to see pitch. Um, and we want to do that. We want to give them opportunities. We have guys that we want to keep stretched out and, and we're also managing workload, um, issues. Um, so I think just from, I, I right now we believe that it's a, it's a, it's the best alternative for us to not only win games at the major league level, uh, but to manage this workload coming through a, a very odd year where most of the guys didn't even pitch. Um, and there's, there, we just, there's a lot of benefits to it. Uh, so yeah, we'll be doing it from top to bottom. Do you think that's something you'll do for going forward or do you think it's more because of the circumstances right now? I don't know, you know, but a, a lot of things that you see in the game, um, you know, not just in, in baseball, but in all sports, things that, um, you know, they, they get created out of necessity. And then once you start doing them, you realize, hmm, why don't we just keep doing this? Um, so we'll see where we go. Right now, all indications are this has a, been a very positive thing for us. And uh, and um, I don't see any reason why we're going to change it anytime soon, but you never know. Kind of along those lines of, of change and development, I'm really interested to get your thoughts. I don't know how much you've been able, I know you can read reports or how much you've been able to watch of the team, but you've got a lot of players on this team that have come through player development right now. And I'm kind of wondering how you evaluate player development and what you're doing right now by watching what you see out on the field right. when they get to the big league level. Correct. Um, you take a lot of, um, you take a lot of pride in it and I, I think it's a, a bit like, you know, watching your kid. Um, you, you feel responsible at times of, oh, maybe we should have done something better here. Or, um, wow, look at this. So you have to, you know, if, if you're going to, you know, be super excited for Kyle Lewis winning a, a rookie of the year, you've also got to uh, take responsibility when it doesn't work um, quite as well. But, you know, as our players have, have graduated to the major league level, uh, overall, we've been, you know, very excited. And we, we um, 
kind of live and die with them on most nights, you know, whether it's a good night or, or a tough night for them. And, uh, and I feel really good that that jump to the major leagues is really, really hard. And we know that we know what the numbers tell us. We know what we're up against. The players know what they're up against. And, um, you know, I, I think it was Elvin who was explaining this to us the other day, you know, like uh, not all the fruit gets ripe at the exact same time but sometimes the best fruit takes a little bit longer and it's hard to predict. So really all you try to do is, is just keep pushing and helping and, and, and encouraging and supporting and coaching and teaching and knowing that um, some guys can get off to a really good start and then hit a roadblock. Uh, some guys hit the roadblock right away and, and have to work through it. Um, but at the end of the day, we do absolutely believe in these kids and we believe in our process and, um, you know, for the most part, it's been it has been really exciting uh, to see them move up and and have their successes. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 